So we're in Mark 8, and we're about halfway done. Uh, Next week is like the pivot point. All of Mark hinges on the end of chapter 8, but we find ourselves at the beginning of Mark chapter 8, and let's just remind ourselves of what had happened last week. Last week, Jesus uh, is up in the northwest. He's gone away from Jerusalem. He's got away from the heat. Uh, This opposition against him, the Jewish leaders are against him. So he's traveling from town to town in mostly Greek villages, and he's doing something that's shocking. He is bringing healing and wholeness uh, to the person that's deaf and can't speak and is probably not a Jew, and that's revolutionary. And then he is also casting out this evil out of this little girl. A Greek woman comes and begs, please have this demon cast out. And Jesus says, sure, you, you believe me, you trust me, there's, there's good for you. And so Jesus is surprising the Jewish leaders by doing something that they thought was just for them. But we're beginning to see that as Jesus is making his way towards the cross, where he's going to die once for everyone, Jew, Greek, slave, free, young, old, male, female, the good news is for everyone. What we forget is because we're sitting 2013 years later, is that early in the time of Jesus, the Jews thought it was just for them. But something bigger was at play where we're getting hints of that, and we get another one of those tonight. So let's read the text. Mark 8, verse 1 says, During those days, or the time that Jesus is traveling in the north, large crowds gathered, and since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. So if I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. Verse 4, his disciples answered, but where in this remote place Can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. And he told them to sit down on the ground. And when they had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. And they had a few small fish as well. And so he gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. And the people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And about 4,000 were present. And after he had sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of uh, Dalmanutha, or Dalmanutha, or Dalmanutha, whatever that city is. And that's what we read. Now, if this sounds a little bit familiar, it is. We just read this a few weeks ago. Back in Mark 6, we won't flip for time, but Jesus does this before. And so Jesus is doing it again. And some of it is like just exactly the same. Now, what's the same? We'll throw it on the screen. If you'd like to take notes, compassion on the crowds. Chapter 6, and here he has compassion on both groups of people. He asks, how many loaves do you have? So it's like deja vu. We've seen this before. He prays and the disciples help out. Both stories, identical. The people eat and were satisfied. Identical. Uh, leftovers are collected. So Jesus doesn't just feed. He feeds with overabundance because there's something left over to take away. And then he dismisses the crowd and leaves by boat. All of this is the same, 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 same. There is uh, one huge difference. The first crowd was 5,000 men, it says. So it could be up to 15, 20,000 people. So it's a bigger crowd. Second time, Mark tells us 4,000 people. That includes men, women, and children. So it's a smaller crowd. And remember where Jesus is. First crowd was to Jews. He's on the mountainside, closer to Jerusalem. 
Second time, he's up in the north, mostly non-Jewish crowd. And this is going to feed into what he's doing. Jesus is feeding both the Jew and the Gentile. The gospel is for everyone. We're seeing this. It's a subtle hint. It's going to get bigger the closer Jesus makes it towards Jerusalem. But that's what Mark's trying to do. He pits the stories super close. Healing in Jerusalem for the Jews. Healing in the north for the Gentiles. Feeding of bread, which was super symbolic. Remember, deep in the history, like we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving. And back in the day, evidently people killed a turkey and, and had, uh, we don't even know what they ate. I think it was the turkey industry personally. But, but they ate a meal, our forefathers, right? And on the East Coast and the country was new and they gave thanks. And we're, we're following in the wake of that tradition, at least they say. In the same way, in a deeper way, the Jews are following in the tradition of a God who feeds them bread. God provides the basics. God is faithful. God does not leave us empty-handed. God does not let us starve. God provides. So what Mark is trying to do is to get us to begin to see that this great God in his son Jesus is going to provide not just for one group of people, but this Messiah, this Jewish deliverer, he is going to provide even food for the whole world. Now, this makes a few people upset. Look at verse 11. The Pharisees, we've seen them before, they're coming back again. They came, so they find Jesus, and begin to question Jesus, to test him. They ask him for a sign from heaven. And he sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. And then he left them. Uh, and they go back into the boat and they cross to the other side. He says this, the Pharisees come to tempt him or to test him. You could translate it either way. And they are looking for a sign. Now, did Jesus just produce a sign? Yes or no? Well, yes, but not really. You see, in, in their mind, what Jesus was doing, these miracles, they were not a sign from heaven. Anyone could do miraculous power. Those influenced by evil, the witch doctors of their day and the people who were priests in the temples, they were known for doing these works and wonders. They wanted more than just a miracle to validate what was going on. They were looking for a sign. So Mark, when he's describing the miracles, never calls the miracles signs. So the reason I say that is what the Pharisees are asking for is not just another miracle. They want more proof. Now, if you read the Gospel of John, John calls the miracle signs, but in Mark's audience, they are looking for something that's different. What are they looking for? They're looking for a sign from heaven. And that's the key, a sign from heaven. Why a sign from heaven? Because if you think back to their history and God's provision, God provided signs from heaven. When they were in slavery in Egypt and God sent Moses and Aaron and they go to Pharaoh, God said, I will, I will perform signs and wonders like the world has never seen. So the, the teeming frogs, the, the nasty gnats, the, the, the river that turns to blood, the staff that becomes a snake and then a staff again and, and boils on people's bodies. In the end, uh, the animals of the Egyptians die yet the animals of the Israelites are saved. In the end, the firstborn of every home in one night dies. These were dramatic signs 
from the heavens, signs from God above. And that's what they're looking for. What Jesus had been doing, what Jesus had been teaching, it wasn't enough for them. What were the signs about? The signs were the proof to them that they really did not believe Jesus is who he says he is. And so what happens? Jesus has been doing the closest miracle. Now, the, the feeding of the 4,000, this, this manna, this bread, like from heaven, because Jesus looks to heaven and then breaks the bread and it's miraculously multiplied. This was as close to this Old Testament sign as they were going to find, but still something in their eyes kept them from seeing the obvious. And even though they heard Jesus teach and he taught like no one else, still their ears were a little clogged. They didn't fully get it, and sometimes we don't either. So Jesus brings back this history lesson to remind them. Now he sighs deeply. He groans. This is like a kick in the gut because the very people who know God's Torah, God's teaching, God's law the most, these are the people who study the book. They should recognize Jesus for who he is, but yet by their very asking. And so what does Jesus say? Instead of complying, you think it would be easier just to show them another sign. The sign's really not going to do much for them. He already knows what's in their heart. He knows that no matter what he proves, no matter what he does, it's not going to be enough for this group of people. So instead of saying yes, what does he do? Verse 12, he sighed deeply and said, why does this generation, why does this generation, he's referring back to the generation that came out of Egypt. If you know the story, they knew the story. The very generation that God took out of Egypt crossed through the Red Sea on dry land. And if that weren't enough, God destroyed their enemies after they passed on dry land, Pharaoh and his Egyptian army were destroyed in a day. The very God who provided manna from heaven, every morning it showed up. They were thirsty, water out of a rock. When they were tired of going with stale bread, he dropped birds from the sky. Their clothes didn't run out. The enemies that came against them were crushed. Everything that they needed was provided by God. That generation saw the signs, but yet in their heart, rebelled against God. That's the problem with signs. God can show you a sign. It doesn't mean that you having a little bit of evidence, you're actually going to follow him anyway. So, so Jesus thinks back, oh, this generation, the generation he's talking to, is just like the previous generation that's seen the miraculous hand of God. And yet we know from history, the generation that came out of Egypt never made it to the land of promise because they were faithless. Faithless. They went quickly to other idols. They went quickly to self-sufficiency. They had seen God at work, yet they didn't mix it with faith and pursue God with all of their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so what does, what does Jesus say? He says, truly, I tell you, no sign, no soup for you, says the soup Nazi. No sign, right? Which, by the way, Seinfeld is coming to Portland 110 bucks is the cheapest ticket. 643 is front row. Christmas is coming. I will receive your gift. If you want to pay for the $643 one, I'm, I'm willing to receive that with joy. But no soup for you, no sign for you. You're not getting it. You're not getting it. I'm not going to give you another sign because you can ask for one sign and one sign will never be enough. Have you ever said or thought, God, if you, and it's usually in a moment of desperation, you know, if you come through, then I will. Have you ever, ever been there? 
I think we all have words. It's called like nod. It's called human. Yeah, like, God, if you just do this for me, then I will do this for you. And what Jesus is saying is that is not how the game is played. That is not how you become one of my followers. That is not how you enjoy the life of God. That is not how you walk into the kingdom of God and live out all that God has laid out for you. It's not a sign and then follow. It's a, it just doesn't work that way. Signs will never be enough. And he, he, he leaves the boat. He, he leaves, goes in the boat, goes to the other side. And now the, in verse 14, it changes. The scene changes. So Jesus had fed the 4,000. And he's discouraged because the leaders have come against him once again, and they still don't get it. They still don't walk in faith. And this is just a good reminder before we read verse 14, that faith that demands proof isn't faith at all. Now, is there evidence for what we believe? Absolutely. Is there evidence for the truthfulness of Scripture? Absolutely. Is there evidence for the coming of Jesus? Absolutely. Is there evidence for the resurrection of Jesus? Absolutely. There is evidence. Our faith is not fleeting. Our faith is not on a cloud. Our faith is not made up. Our faith is wrapped around real, hard fact evidence of what God has done on planet Earth. And you can look at it. But faith that demands a sign, that demands proof. God, unless you do more... That's not faith at all. And that's where we're in a delicate balance. Some of you are here and you're struggling, you're wrestling, you're questioning, you're asking yourself, God, I know some days I feel like you're close, but some days I feel like you're far. And sometimes I read the Bible and I think this is kooky and I wonder, I'm not sure. It is okay to question. It's okay to wrestle. It's okay to struggle with some of the details. But it's not okay, Jesus is saying to the Pharisees and to us, to live in this posture where you default to doubt all the time. And if God doesn't do more, then, then he's not worthy of your affection. I'm just here to remind you tonight, in love as a friend, God has already done enough for you to demand your, your absolute affection. He's already loved you. Breathe in. Come on, do it. One, two, three. Just breathe. Air, and it's decently clean. Air. It's in your lungs. Most of us had something to eat. If you didn't eat, that was your choice. Most of us had something to eat today. We are generally in a safe environment. We're blessed beyond measure. God doesn't have to prove anything to you to demand your allegiance and your affection. He's already been gracious. And so when Pharisees come to him and say, it's not enough, Jesus says, no, no, that's not what it means to follow me. But then he looks to his disciples and he realizes that the people that are closest to him, they're going to wrestle with this temptation as well. And see, if you're sitting here like, uh, most of us are not the Pharisees. This is the weird one. We're not the Pharisees. Most of us are not the people that are saying, no, Jesus, I don't believe you. You came. You came and endured a large, long parade of leaders. Like, you're here and you're worshiping and you're giving and you're generous and all that. So I'm not the Pharisee. I already believe in Jesus. Thank you. Uh, do we move on? No, because in verse 14, Jesus moves to his disciples and sees a temptation that we face every day. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf that they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And they discussed this one with another and said, is it because we have no bread? And aware of their discussions, Jesus asked them, what are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? 
And don't you remember? And then what is he talking about? Verse 19. When I broke up the five loaves with the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves with the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. And he said to them, do you still not understand? So Jesus has already looked at the Pharisees and said, they've lost a plot line, and I'm not going to give them any more because they, they, they don't have any allegiance, any faith in me. But then he looks at his disciples, and they do have faith. They've, they've left. They left their jobs. They left their families. They're living on the road with this Jesus. They're active in the ministry. They're serving alongside the master and handing basketfuls of food. They're, they're calling people to healing. They're already participating in God's healing power for the redemption of people, but he sees that something can happen to them. It is possible to start well and slip off the track. Would you agree? It's possible to start your journey following Jesus really strong and really passionate, really in tune with the Spirit and really going for it, and then find yourself and you, you don't even know where you ended up. You're, you're on a side road. You're, you're distracted. It's a dead-end street, and you're like, how did I get here. And so he sees this, and he speaks to his disciples. So coming off this huge miracle, Jesus finds time to check in on them, and he talks about yeast, which is very obtuse. It's very weird, but it's actually telling when you think about it. He says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of that of Herod. Now, don't think yeast are little packets, little throw on the bread, you know, poofs up, becomes big, and it's fluff, right? Not not, not that kind of yeast. In the first century, they used leaven. And so some of the translations of your Bible may say leaven. Now, what is that? That is a week-old bread. They took bread from last week, and they put it in a container and let it ferment, mold, mess up, right? And then they would skim sort of that older bread, and they would work this, this leaven into next week's bread. The problem is it often became poisonous, and it quickly spoiled. So there was a real risk if you used leaven in last week's moldy bread over skim, put it into this bread, that there's always a danger that if you don't get it right, if you're not careful, you're going to not only ruin this, but continue to move that along and ruin future bread. And Jesus says that there's something wrong with the Pharisees and with Herod. Now he's talking about two totally like groups that don't demand being in the same sentence. The Pharisees are strict religious Jews, Torah-keeping, anal about the details. Herod, on the other hand, is a puppet of Rome and not a Jew, doesn't care about God's law. But Jesus, interestingly, speaking to Jews and Gentiles, saying there's something about these two groups of people that is dangerous. There is a leaven. There is a yeast. And, and the graphic is there. The little bits from the old batch of dough goes into the new batch and you don't see it anymore, it just ruins the whole thing. And Jesus is saying that there's something about Herod and there's something about the Pharisees that, that, that if it works its way into your own soul, if it works its way into your heart, can damage the fruit that you can bear, can damage the work that you're doing, it could damage your following. Because he, as he looks at his disciples, he realizes they're not exactly getting the plot line either. Now, how, how do we know that? Jesus is talking with them, and look at verse 16. They discuss what Jesus said about the yeast to one another and said, uh, is it because we have no bread? Like, you know, 
They don't, they don't get that Jesus is talking about the conversation prior that the Pharisees don't believe. They need more signs. They don't trust him. And he says to them, um, why are you talking about having no bread? Don't you see or understand? He, he quotes here from Jeremiah. There's this, this warning, this command, statement against God's people, Jeremiah the prophet. Uh, they had God's law. This is hundreds of years before Jesus. But they had it available, but they didn't see it. They didn't understand it. And so Jesus quotes back to a, a negative word spoken to God's people. And Jesus speaks that negative word to his disciples. Don't you see or understand? Or are your hearts hardened? And here's that quote, verse 18. You have eyes but fail to see, ears but fail to hear. Don't you remember? Um, he's warning them like he's warning us. that If we're not careful, we can let the little bit the little bit off of the old dough, a little bit of false thinking, a little bit of bad theology can ruin all the good that's going on in your soul. And a little bit of acting like the Pharisees or acting like Herod can be destructive. And he says this out of love. He's not trying to down his disciples, but like a good leader, he's like, guys, it's time to inspect what's in the heart. Similar to what he said last week, out of the heart comes all these evil things. He's like, the Pharisees inherit. The problem is not their behavior. Their behavior, yeah, it's off. The problem's in the heart. And like a good, loving father, Jesus says to his disciples, man, I'm concerned that even though you're the closest to me physically, they're walking with him, eating with him, drinking with him, traveling with him. They see more of Jesus. It is possible to be close, intimately involved with the Christian community and your heart be far from Jesus. It's possible to read the Bible frequently and, hear me, be unchanged by it. It's possible to spend quiet time praying because everyone else is doing it, but fall into the routine and your heart slowly slip away from the love of God. And I'm not saying this because I know your circumstance. I just know it's part of the rhythm of following Jesus that there are ups and downs, and Jesus sees them at the potential of a down, and he wants to pick them up. Don't you see? Don't you understand? Don't forget what God has done. Inspect your heart. And I think in light of all that we've been talking about, in light of even the idea of bringing up leaders, men and women who are called to serve, it's good to always inspect and look in our heart. Why? Leaven was used in Jesus' day as an analogy about the intention of the heart. And so Jesus is saying, watch out for the heart posture of Herod. Herod doesn't get it. So out of his heart, is going to come stuff that's wrong. And, and the Roman government is ultimately going to kill Jesus. And watch out for the Pharisees. Something wrong with their heart. Even though Jesus is doing good for the people, the Pharisees are the first ones to say, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. So Jesus isn't about sin management, and Jesus isn't about just changing your behavior to make you more of a nice person. Jesus is about a total transformation of the heart. But the disciples are clueless, and they say, is it because we only brought one loaf of bread? And that is just a good reminder that Jesus doesn't condemn them, but he's rather patient with them, and he wants to bring them along. And if you feel like you're off tonight, it's been a rough week, a rough season, and your heart isn't fully aligned with the heart of God, and you know it, I don't have to tell you, in your own soul, we know where our heart is because those of us who have chosen to follow Jesus would be given the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit who lives in you begins to give you a little bit of, Hey, Jose, it's been a couple of days. When are you going to 
Confess. You know, you know it because I know it. we all know it. And Jesus is saying it's that leaven that works in. And he ends with the question, do you still not understand? Don't you get it yet? Now, the disciples in the next few verses we're going to read next week, they do get the glimpse. Next week we're going to read that Peter gets the glimpse of who Jesus is and he begins to unfold what God had been teaching him. And by the Spirit, he says, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God. But there are seasons of ups and downs. And this is a down moment. Jesus, in quoting Jeremiah, you have ears, but you don't hear. You have eyes, but you don't see. He had quoted those verses against the Pharisees and the leaders in Mark 4. But now he's taking the same warning, same words, he's applying it to his disciples. So those who are far from God, they, they need to hear that. Those who are close to God need to hear it. And so tonight, we, we just want to inspect our heart. Where is your heart? Have you allowed leaven, yeast, the gook of this world to infect your own soul and attitude? And tonight, it's a great time to come clean and just simply say to Jesus, hey, Lord, deal with my heart. I want to follow you, not just with my schedule and be here on Sunday, not just with my time management. I want my heart to be aligned with you. God, do a work in my heart. Now, uh, the question, do you still not understand? That's, that's good for Peter, and it's good for James and John and the other brothers of Jesus, because what Jesus is talking about is a heart posture. And let's just bring this to us for a second. When we worry about the cares of this life, let's just think about it. Jesus just fed 4,000 people enough bread that there's leftovers. Have you ever wondered, are you going to make it? Have you ever wondered, are we going to make our bills at the end of this month? Have you ever wondered, am I going to have enough to get my kids through school? Have you ever wondered, yeah, is this relationship, I know we've had higher highs, but are we ever going to get to that peak again and grow and love one another more deeply? Or have we hit the top and is it downhill from here? Have you ever wondered, is God going to come through? We do it all the time. And so Jesus is saying, hey, you've seen me do wonders and signs and now I'm asking you to trust me. The Pharisees needed more evidence. And what he's calling us to do as followers of Jesus is to hang on what he's already done and believe that he'll do it again. And so tonight is a call to faith. Let God look at your heart, inspect your heart, and trust him tonight. Ever wonder, am I going to have a job that's going to pay me enough to take care of my family? Am I going to be underemployed forever? Are we going to ever be able to do the things that we feel God wants us to do? I feel like I'm taking two steps forward, three steps back. Am I reading your mail right now? We're there at times. And so the disciples are there at times. They're in a tenuous moment. But Jesus is loving and caring, and he wants their heart. So tonight, we have a contrast as we worship. There is the leaven, the yeast, the poison of the Pharisees that says, I'm not going to believe. I need more. Jesus isn't enough. He hasn't done enough. If he, if he gives me a little bit more, then I will follow him. And then you have bread. Jesus provides gift, grace, food, care for those who don't deserve it like us. You have the contrast of the two. And tonight we're going to have to choose which road we're going to follow. The one where Jesus is providing bread or the leaven that can go in and rob us of our joy. You can follow Jesus and lack joy. You could go through the motions and do the right things and love God, but, but miss out on the joy. And Jesus is after your joy. He's after instilling fresh joy 
for you, and it comes when you trust God for who he is, not just what he does. But you trust him just because he's God and he's good, and he will get us through. So three hot heart postures we want to look at tonight, and I, I want to ask you, where do you find yourself? The first one is God wants, it's about a heart posture of blindness, not seeing. The Pharisees, they didn't see all that God had done. Jesus said, do you have eyes but fail to see? And so often we fail to see what God has clearly done in our, our life. So tonight, if you've just been wrestling, like, man, I know you did that, but miss the significance. If God did it before, he's faithful to do it again. He will care for you. But sometimes we're just blinded. We're blinded by our bills. We're blinded by our problems. We're blinded by the, our culture that says, I need more to feel good. And Jesus tonight wants to liberate us from that and set us free. It's about a heart posture of deafness, not hearing. Jesus said to them, do you have ears but fail to see? The problem isn't that God isn't speaking. God's speaking all the time. The problem is we're living at a chaotic pace where sometimes we don't take the time to stop and listen. And I just pray for you this week that you will invest your energy and your affection on pursuing God with your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, with all that you are, and allowing him to open your eyes to see all of his goodness and to hear what he has to say. It's a choice that we make, isn't it? I can go throughout the week and not invest any energy in pausing just to listen to what God would say. Or I can, I can follow the disciplines. A disciplined life as a follower of Jesus is saying that because God created all things and he created me, he created me for him, and therefore every day, as much as I can, I want to invest my energy and my affection on the pursuit of God. What does that look for you? It's different for you than for me. I'm a morning guy. Uh, at 10 o'clock, I snore, like you know. But uh, if that means if I'm busy at 6 in the morning, I, I want to get up at 5.30. Not because I'm super spiritual. I want time with Jesus. I want time with him. I want to be in a room alone with a little bit of dim light, a little background music that doesn't wake up the kids, and an open Bible, and just say, God, I, what do you have for me? No massive agenda, no, thing, no to-do list, no emails yet. I just want to start my day and say, Jesus. And you know what? Every day I don't hear something clear, but a lot of days I do. And it's not these loud noises, Jose, go north! You know, no, it, it's usually a Bible verse for me. Uh, the, the psalm that I read during the offering, Psalm 31, I'm just reading through the Bible. And it popped out about God's abundance and God showing his love. And I had to tweet it out because that's what we do. And, and, I, and, and I've been thinking about it all day long. And I thought, oh, let me read it tonight. And God clearly spoke to my soul this morning about praising this God who's shown us his love. And it just started with one agenda item. Connect with God this morning. Not because I have to and get some nugget to preach, but because I love God and I want to grow in him. And that looks different for you and no guilt trip and no, you have to spend 30 minutes or it's not enough and no read through the Bible in a year. Just read something every day. Just spend a few minutes. If it's in the car, ask God for a red light. Ask God for a red light. Say, why? Sit idle, waste gas, and just take the red light time and pray with eyes open so you know when it's green and you don't make everyone mad. But, you know, it, this is simple stuff. If I am struggling and didn't read enough in the morning, here's what I do. I'm driving, and I got my phone, and I put it on a little docking thing, and I just listen to the Bible. I just listen to it. 
And it just soaks in. It's like, wow, I begin to think differently because the scriptures. I got buddies, men and women that I love and respect. I hear what God's doing in their world. God speaks in all sorts of ways. Connect with God. The third posture is a, a heart posture of forgetting and not remembering. Jesus says, don't you remember when I broke the lows? See, sometimes we forget God's faithfulness. Take a moment right now, just right now. Where has God been faithful to you today? And if you're struggling with today, think yesterday, think this weekend. Where has God been faithful to you? Like specifically, not just generic air. Okay, we got that. Where has God been faithful to you? And here's what we're going to do. Just, I want you to just speak it out. Like where has God specifically been faithful to Okay, th- thank you very much. A job. Where has God been faithful to you? Kids and grandkids, what a blessing, a heritage from the Lord. Yeah. I'm sorry? A doctor. God provides people with skill at a time of need. Food, thank you. Yes, amen. Fellowship. Come on. I'm sorry? Leadership. He provides people in our life to help guide us, bless us, correct us. Yeah. Friends, a little faster, please. Come on. God's been faithful. Okay, health. Now you're like, oh, I'm going to step on each other's toes. Give me. I don't care. Say it. Music. A wife. A wife. Hello, someone finally points. <laughs> yes. What? His word. Yes, yeah. How about this? Let's just get goofy for a second. At the count of three, everyone just say where God has been faithful to you at the same time. Who cares who hears it? God hears it. One, two, three. Yes! You see, God has been faithful to you. God has been faithful to me. And I can either choose to live in a heart posture where it says, God, I wonder, I worry, I doubt, or a heart posture that says, you have been faithful, you will be faithful. And so tonight we're going to worship in response to God's faithfulness. I'm going to invite the band to come up and we're going to sing. And tonight the call is to Jesus. Tonight, the call is just to follow Jesus. So where are you at? For some of you, if you've not yet started this journey, you just need to hear this. God loves you just the way you are. It sounds cliche, but it's true. He made you, and he loves you, and he's calling you to himself. And if you hear his voice, if you see it, if you get it, tonight, just follow Jesus. Follow him. Say, God, I am broken. I have sinned. Of course I admit that. But tonight, I want to go your way. I want to, I want to live for you. I want to live under your leadership. You could do that. Tonight, if your heart's just been off, confess that to God. As we sing songs of worship, cry out your heart. Let him know what's really going on, because here's a hint. He knows what's going on. But he invites us to be honest and to be rescued and saved. Tonight, we want to pray and respond with heart postures that are not doubt-filled, that are not wondering, but are full of faith. Tonight, follow Jesus. Express your faith in him. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We're thankful that you are at work right here, right now. And we invite you, Holy Spirit of God, even as we come to you and as we ask you to inspect us from the inside, tonight will you do a work. Lord, turn our hearts from doubt and unbelief and worry. Help us to see all that you have done so that we can hold on to you for today, tomorrow. Give us today our daily bread. We need you, Lord, today.